Thank you for joining us for this message from Cornerstone Community Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. And now let's join our guest speaker. Let's start with prayer today, can we? Amen. Father, we owe everything to you. We are nothing without you. So thank you for being so gracious and loving that you gave us your word that is able to save us, Lord, and to bring us into your presence. Thank you, Lord, by your mighty power. You hold us together. And into your arms, you will receive us. Thank you, Lord. Speak to us today, O oh God. I make myself available to you. Speak your word. Let us be exalted. Let us be encouraged, exhorted, O oh Lord, that we might glorify you. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> the last time I spoke with you, I uh, spoke on the topic of God's transformation. And I said to you, it's not God being transformed. It was the means by which God takes and transforms us, if you will. And we have a big hand in that. We have a part in that. It's not all God. There's things that we have to do. And we talked about some of that. But we saw initially that one of the ways that God sees that we can be transformed is found in the book of Joshua, chapter 1, verses 7 through 8. And in there he is telling Joshua, who's about to take the Israelites into the promised land. He says, Meditate upon my word. Meditate upon my word. Apply it to your life. And in doing so, you will be prosperous and you will succeed. This was the wonderful promise of God. Now, if you will, I want to take you a little deeper. Is that all right? All right. Because now that we know that God has given us a tremendous mind... We talked last week about the awesomeness of what it's capable of and what it does, both for good and for bad. And so, knowing that, I want us to take us a little bit further here. And if you'll turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, we're going to begin to address this. <clears throat> the scripture there says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to notice three things here. May your spirit, soul, and body be preserved complete without blame. We are a people that are made up of three parts. <clears throat> we have a spirit that's given to us by God. We live in a body that came out of the ground. And then there is our mind, or as it says here in this particular chapter here, our soul. Because in the scriptures, interchangeably in the Greek, the word soul and mind can be used interchangeably here. So we're talking about our soul, same thing as our minds. And he's praying here this prayer that it would be complete without blame before God. So as we look at this, we want to find out what this actually means for us. 
Because as we look at it, the Spirit gives us a consciousness of the heavenlies, the things that we cannot see. Our bodies give us worldly consciousness so that we can partake and be a part and know everything about it. And then our souls gives us self-consciousness, who we really are. In fact, your soul is exactly who you are. It's your soul. Because your soul is who you are. Let me explain that to you. We have this. And in it is our character. In it is all of our understanding, all of our intellect, all of our will, all of everything. And in having this, then, it becomes a very powerful and useful tool for the Lord God Almighty. But it can also be used besides God. So, <clears throat> I think it's helpful just briefly to, re- to just review and look at it again. Who was Adam before the fall? Because he had a soul. The Word of God says that God breathed into man and he became a living soul. If you look in Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 through 28, it shows there that God spoke to Adam. I want you to take dominion of the entire earth. I want you to rule over it. All the animals, all the fish of the sea, all the birds in the air. Now understand, he wants man to take dominion. That's a pretty big job. And it's just Adam. So you can see that God never asked of us to do something that we are not capable of doing because he had given Adam a soul capable of this. We go further and we see that in Genesis 2.15, God put him into a garden called Eden. And he told man, of every tree of the garden, you can freely eat except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, let's look at that just for a moment. Did Adam die a physical death the day he ate of that tree? No. He lived 900 and something years. Did his spirit die? It did. But his soul didn't die. I want you to understand that. The soul does never die. This soul that God had given Adam, he also went forth and said, name all the plants by yourself. Now, if you're like me, we can probably start with the letter A and say ant and go through the whole alphabet and come up with some kind of animal for that letter. But do you know how many different classifications of the ant there is? Adam named every one of them. He named every one of them. This was a part of the mind that Adam was given to. And he was told to to watch over this garden. God's actually said to him, I want you to dress the garden and keep it. The word is oftentimes used as guard it. Well, wait a minute. It's just you and me, Lord. I'm the only one here in the garden. What have I got to do about guarding it? When he said this to Adam, it tells us one thing. There was somebody or something that would like to 
take care of that out of our hands. And we know what that was. We know what it was. And one more thing about Adam. Being placed in this garden, it wasn't your backyard thing. It wasn't even a small farm. Because out of the Garden of Eden, four rivers flowed. Four. And if you look in and the best that anyone can come up with, somewhere around the area of Turkey and Iran and, and, and so forth, in that general area where some of these rivers still are that we can see, the Euphrates and, and, uh, and uh, the Tigris River, we know this garden had to have been huge, maybe several hundred miles. And he was supposed to dress it and guard it. Now remember, God never tells us to do anything that we're not capable of. And so he did this. This was the man, Adam, before the fall. But then things changed. Then we see that one day, while in the garden, Satan came to Eve and said, Indeed, has God said you shall not eat of the garden? And she said, well, Of course we can. Everything except the tree of life, because in the day we eat it, we shall surely die. And in his sithering way, he said, you won't die. No, you will have knowledge of good and evil. And you will be as God. Now, what makes this so fantastic is they were already like God. They were already. This is the way that God created us. To be like God in his image and in his likeness. So how did this come about? Perhaps a moment of weakness, whatever it was, even bought into it. Later, Adam did as well. And what happened? They ate of the tree. And it says their eyes were opened. Now they saw things they'd never seen before. One of them, that they were naked. And so they took fig leaves and sewed uh, a dressing thing around their, their private parts, if you will. But now, Satan had a purpose for this. Satan was not there just to tempt man and to get him to stumble and fall and say, oh, I made a big mistake. No. It goes far deeper than that. Because, you see, Satan knows the power, the ability the intellect and everything else that our mind contains. And what he wanted was that. He wanted to have mankind to where he could manipulate man and influence man in his thinking so that he could get man to come aboard with him and do all kinds of extraordinary things, supposedly in the name of God. Man's dependence upon God ended in the garden. Man gave up God. God, he, he, he just basically rejected God. I don't need you anymore. I can be just like you. But he didn't. Now, as a man separate from God, he had to go out into the world and determine what the rules of life were. Not God anymore. 
And it wasn't that easy, he found out. He had to work the garden, so to speak, but by the sweat of his brow. It was no, nothing before. He never got tired. And so as he did all of this, he began to find out that he had also to determine what was both good and what was evil. And so we have the world we live in today. Some people say that thing is good. Some people say, no, that's evil. And then some people over here say, oh, but this is good. And they say, no, it's evil. And so in our minds, as a, as a world earth together here, you've got all this mind work going on, determining what they think and what they think and what they think and what they think, and nobody knows anymore what good really is. It all depends upon you, your viewpoint, what you think, what you like. There's no set standard because man has rejected God. And Satan loved that because he wants to gain the authority and the power that we hold here and influence it so it will work for him. Let me tell you how bad this gets. Turn with, with me, if you would, in your Bibles to Revelation 18. In Revelation 18, it talks about the fall of Babylon. This is the end times. And we're living in the end times. It's talking about the end times and Babylon, how it's fallen. And it starts off here by starting in verse 4. I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not participate in her sins and receive of her plagues. For her sins have piled up as high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. God tells his own people, get out of there. Get out of there, or you're going to suffer the same thing that Babylon does. Who was Babylon? Well, let's look a little closer here. We get down to starting at verse 18. Excuse me, verse 9. And the kings of the earth who committed acts of immorality and lived sensuously with her will weep and lament over her when they see the smoke of her burning. Standing at a distance because of the fear of her torment, saying, Woe, woe, the great city, Babylon, the strong city. For in one hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn over her because no one buys her cargoes anymore. Cargoes of gold and silver and precious stones and pearls and fine linen and purple and silk and scarlet and every kind of citron wood and every article of ivory and every article made from very costly wood and bronze, iron and marble and cinnamon and spice and incense and perfume and frankincense and wine and olive oil and fine flour and wheat and cattle and sheep and cargoes of horses and chariots and slaves and of souls of men. There's coming a time that we're soon approaching that Satan, because of the influence he's had over these thousands of years and working through our brains and taking us the way that he wants us to go rather than following after God, there's coming a time when you, your soul is going to be sold or bought, depending on who wants you the most. Do you see yourself like that? You're just a piece of merchandise. Like walking into 7-Eleven picking up a candy bar. 
that's what Satan wants to bring us to. Because he knows if he has us behind him, he can do what he hopes to accomplish, which is overthrow God. Because as you keep reading in, in Revelation, it talks about once he comes out of his thousand year of being dumped into the, the chasm, he gets all the nations of the world to gather with him to fight God. Now, anybody in his right mind wouldn't be doing that. So something has to happen for us not to have that kind of a mentality which Satan wants us to have, which makes us simply something bought or sold. Something else has to happen. And that's what we are going to look at this morning, even further, as I go forth. Notice that the Word of God tells us that when, our, when we die, our spirits return back to God who gave it. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 7. And we know that our bodies are made of dust and they return to the dust. Genesis three nineteen. But our soul never dies. It's forever. In Matthew 10, 28, we find... Do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are you aware of that fact? Though the body is dead and the spirit has returned to God, you still are here because your soul never dies. Now, how do I know that? Because the Bible told me so. If you look at Luke 23, 43, we talk about the thief on the cross. The last thing that thief said to Jesus was, remember me in the day of your, your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, today you will be with me in paradise. Or we can go to John chapter, <clears throat> the book of Revelation, uh, chapter 6. And beginning, we're reading at verse 9. When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God, because of the testimony which they had maintained. And they cried out. Your soul cried out to God. How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And he says, be patient. There's others that have to be killed as you have been. And he gives them a white clothing to wear in the meantime. They don't have yet a resurrected body. The soul is there. It's able to move and so forth. I guess the best example of what I'm trying to tell you is the story that Jesus gave us about the rich man and Lazarus. You remember the story. The rich man lived in a place and he lived sumptuously, luxuriously. And he enjoyed life. Lazarus was placed at the, his door gate to his home. And Lazarus was sick because the dogs would come and lick his sores. And he only hoped to have the crumbs off to the rich man's table. Well, in time, they both died. And the rich man looked up and saw Lazarus in the bosom of Abraham. And he said, Father, 
send Lazarus to me. Let him dip his finger in water and put it on my tongue because I am suffering this burning torment I'm in. And the answer came back, can't do it. There's too big a chasm between us. No one can cross that. You're there and we're here and that's not going to change. And the story went on where he said, well, at least send somebody to my brothers that they won't come here. And he said, no. They have Moses. They have the written word of God. But he says, oh, but if somebody came back from the dead, they would believe. And the answer came back again. If someone rises from the dead, they still won't believe. That's heavy words. But it shows to us and gives us the example of how powerful the soul is. It's here. It's abiding with God. It's, it's in heaven. The soul is able to do extremely important and powerful things. Well, what are we going to do? If we're like Adam and we rejected God, you tell him today, I don't want any part of you. I can do this on my own. I don't want any part of you because I don't believe in you. Burn your stupid Bible because it doesn't say anything to me. It's interesting that God hears you and he steps aside. Let you go about yourself, anything you want to do, and suffer the consequences thereof. All right, we're back in business. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. In other words, he's telling us what was fulfilled out of Ezekiel 36. If you want to turn that to that place in your Bible, Ezekiel 36. And this is speaking to the Jewish people, but it's also for us because it it talks about the new covenant that God was going to bring forth. Not the old, but the new covenant under which we live. And listen to what he says here in verse 26. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of Uh, And give you a heart of flesh. I will put, listen to this, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. Did you hear that? In the new covenant, our saving grace is this. That when we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God, that he came, that he was crucified, that he died and he rose again. And because of his blood, we have been, our sins have been taken away. And because of his blood, we have been reconciled to God. If you're that person, then God puts within you a new spirit. 
Capable of doing what? Walking in his statutes and carefully observing his commands. So, being in that position now, this is why we see it, saw in Romans 8.10, if Christ be in you, there's a big difference. There's a big difference. Now, when the new spirit comes within us, because we're now in Christ, what happens? Your mind, your soul, that part that we're told to renew, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, begins to fight for us. Because Galatians 5.17 says, the spirit and the flesh war against one another. They come against each other to determine who's going to own the soul. And we have to be participants in that because we make the choice. You see, there's something that we have that's very valuable. God placed it there. Now he's come back to reclaim that which is, not what belongs to the enemy. Now, the problem here is this. No matter what God has done, you in your puniness and in your weakness and everything else can still tell God, go bye-bye, I don't want you. This is the choice that you make. And in making that choice then, there are certain things that are expected of us in God, in Christ Jesus. Because, you see, Satan has been working from the garden to stir up man's soul and to release that power there that's within us and use it as a deception of spiritual power. I know a lot of people don't see this and they, and they don't believe in it, but therefore they are led away by the manifestations of deception. Let's look at a couple of these things here. First one is found in Second Thessalonians chapter two. Second Thessalonians chapter two, and we'll start reading at um, verse eight. Then that lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. That is, the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan with all power and signs and false wonders, and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. I don't know what you think about people called psychics. I don't know what you think about people who uh, are out there healing people and so forth and so on. Because what is real can be counterfeited, and that's what the devil is depending upon. Through the power of signs and wonders, you would believe he's the right way. If I just trust in him, I'll get where I want to be. Yeah, signs and wonders are real. They do happen. They happen in the church, unfortunately. That's why we have to be ready to cooperate with what God wants. But let's look a little bit further. In Matthew 24, 24, Jesus is talking about the end times, what's going to take place. And what did he say to us there? He said, For false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, the very elect. 
Jesus does not deny that there's power on the wicked end of things. He doesn't deny that. If you don't believe that, then you have been deceived yourself. But God wants us to follow him because he created us, spirit, soul, and body. And he wants us to walk with him because in the saving of our soul, we get to get to heaven. Now, let me tell you how important this is. Without the Spirit of God fighting for us, we're not very discerning. We don't recognize deception when it comes. We get involved in things we should never have gotten involved with. We make explanations trying to justify what we do. We tell lies. We just keep on doing things like this that just ruin the very name of Jesus. But that's not how God wants us. I remember one night when, after church, a brother and I sat down at a table. We were just talking. And up walked a young woman and said, I need prayer. Well, certainly, sit down at the table here and we'll talk together. And she poured out her, her problems, her life. And my husband's in the Navy. He's gone all the time. And things have to be done around the house. And work is a turmoil. And she just went on and on. So when she had finished... The brother sitting next to me said, well, let's pray then. And he started praying. We all knelt our heads and he starts praying. Well, when he's finished, I would suppose, as you would, it's my turn now to pray as well. But I didn't say anything for a couple of seconds or so. And when I did, I raised my head and looked at this woman. And I said this. You have come with deception and seduction. God says to you, repent or great consequences will come upon you. And then I put my head back down. Now, I know the brother sitting next to me was going nuts. This woman came to us for help and you have done nothing but totally insult her. But 10 seconds later, there was this piercing cry out of this woman. And she jumped up and said, I got to get out of here. I got to get out of here. And slammed the door as she left. She was there to get a man to take care of her needs. And God exposed her. That's what we are to be able to do. We are to expose the acts of darkness. We're supposed to call them out and show them for what they are. We're supposed to do battle against that type of thing. God wants us, he gave us this brain here, he gave us the spirit, and together they can identify and take over anything that is a problem. God even, want to, God even wants you to know this and to have this so you don't hurt yourself. I remember, again, one night going out for a run, which I did quite often. And I had a fixed location in mind, and as I was approaching it about 50 yards away, the Lord spoke to me. He said, be careful you don't fall. I just jogged on ahead. I'm looking. There's nothing on the sides of the path here. and No problem. Oh, we're at the finish line down there. Uh, there's a little brush, but that's nothing. So as I came up to the brush, it was about this high, I just simply jumped over it to land in a mud hole. And when my feet went this way, 
The rest of me went that way. I got up caked in mud, scratches and bruises because I didn't listen. God wants you to have the very best. He wants you to walk with Him. He wants you to have and express and feel the love He has in His life for you. Because He's given you this thing up here, not just for you to get around, but that you might bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. And through our soul, we are able to do those things we never were able to do before. Did not Jesus himself say, I'm going to my Father, and the works that I have done, you shall do, and even greater works because I go to the Father? Do you really believe that? If we believe that and we're walking in that, what should be taking place? Nobody would be able to stand against us because their arguments would fall away. They'd be powerless because the power and almightiness of God dwelling within us is able to subdue it and overcome it. Expose it, if you will. This is why God is so interested in, in helping us. And you know, one of the problems we get when we get this new spirit and, and we try to immediately start living for God. We struggle for a while. Anybody here besides me didn't struggle when you first got saved? Some things that took me years to get because of my pure stubbornness. And I just tried everything in the world I could find to overcome a bad habit I had. That habit just kept popping up and popping up. Just like Paul in Romans 7. Who's going to deliver me from all this? I want to do good, but I end up doing bad. I want to think right, but do wrong. Paul was, a, was assured of this, and he knew this. He identified. And so we went through this time, and the reason why we were not successful, we need to admit it right now, is because we were doing it in our own strength and power, our flesh. And God hates flesh. Even in the Old Testament, the, the priest who ministered before God had to wear linen clothing so that he would not sweat. The high priest, in going into the Holy of Holies once a year, had to be careful to take incense with him to cover the smell of his own body. God hates the flesh because the flesh is you and me doing whatever we want to do by ourselves. We don't need you, God. But God's trying to show us in his word that we have this ever Longing, everlasting soul that never dies. And if we will just come with him, all good things are going to come forth. We need to understand, if you don't already understand, our souls are in danger. Even if we're saved, they're still in danger. Because you never know what may come before you. You never know if you're going to be able to stand up to it against or not unless you're walking in the presence of God and dwelling with Him. You could see it coming if you're dwelling with God. You can be prepared if you're dwelling with God. And when it arrives, you can dispatch it because it has no power over you. This is the God we, we live in and love and long for and what He has made us into and what He expects of us. 
Look with me, if you would, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 39. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. To to preserve something is that you make it to endure for a long time, like jam, jelly, pickles. You can that, and it's sealed for a long time. It stays fresh. He's saying here, we're not like those who fall back to destruction, but we are those who have faith to the preserving of our souls and this God who preserves us, who keeps us by his mighty power. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. It says this, abstain from lust that war against your soul. You want to overcome pornography? Then stop watching it. You want to find a, a diet plan? Check with God. The devil has all kinds of things you can do, and they may hurt you. You may want to quit lying. Get more Jesus. There's no lying in Jesus. Whatever we need, we just need to go deeper in Jesus. It's there. It's there. And it's for us. Look at 1 Peter 1.9. As because of our faith, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your soul. Yeah, the soul needs salvation too. And that's where it comes in about the renewing of our minds. This is what God has given us. But how do we do this? I gave you one way the last time we talked. I'm going to give you a few more. Look at James 1.21. It says, Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness in humility, receive the word implanted which is able to save your souls. Now, what did he say? He says, put away the evil and pay attention to the word that's been implanted in your soul. What is that word? Cover to cover, it's the Word of God. That's the wisdom of God, cover to cover. It's also His opinion. And that's the only one, only one that matters. Nothing we can say about that. And to save the soul means simply this, to rescue it, to bring it to safety, to keep it healthy. That's in you and my hands. You're in my hands. We do this. God gives us the ability. God gives us the power. But there's a place where we have to connect to get that power. You see, our life can be somewhat uh, described as a computer. First, you've got the hard box, you know, the case. You've got a keyboard, a screen. Nothing there. Okay, then you fill it full of data. All kinds of information and some wisdom, all for everywhere you can find it. It's still dead. But when you plug in the electricity, suddenly there's life. That's how we are. We've got all this here, but we have it plugged into him. And the way we're going to overcome and seek the salvation of our souls is by plugging in to him. That's the word that's been engrafted into us, implanted there, and that we have to pay attention to this. Another way is in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, 
beginning at verse 3, he says this, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. Everybody understand what a fortress is? A fortress is like a habit. It's formed a stronghold in your mind, and you can't seem to overcome it. But it says here that God tells us we don't war against the flesh because our weapons are able and powerful enough to destroy fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And we're ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. There it is. It's a simple thing. We just have to get more of Jesus. There's a few other things he says to us. And I'll close. We need to be like Jesus was and still is. In John 5:19, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. Do you see that? How often we get up in the morning and the first words out of our mouth is, oh, morning. Wish I could have slept in. Got to get up and go to work. Complaint, complaint, complaint. When the first words should be, glory to your name, O God. I see the light of a different day and I know you're able to use me and to guide me and to keep me and I'm going forth victorious. That's what God is trying to show us, what he's trying to tell us here. We need to be like Jesus. If you need anything in your life, get more of Jesus and you'll find it. God has told us that over and over. In John chapter 12, John chapter 12, verse 24. Listen to what he says here. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it, and he who hates his life in this world would, will keep it to life eternal. What is he saying to us here? He's saying this. If you hold on to the life you have in this world... You're going to perish. That's a promise. But if you hold on to the life that's found in Christ Jesus, you'll live forever. And you'll be rewarded. And you'll be with God whenever he, wherever he is at all times. He will be your God, your security, your everything. Now all of this brings me back to the last thing I said to you. The last time I spoke to you, and that was this. We are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. But in Romans 12, verse 1, it says this. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you 
Bring yourself as a living sacrifice to God, holy and acceptable, which is your spiritual service. The first thing we have to do is die. Just like Jesus said, a seed falls in the ground, but it's worthless until it dies. And then something happens. He's telling you and I, lay yourself on the altar. Tell me I am all your warning in life. That you are going to put aside all the things that bring you pleasure and, and everything that entices your heart and all the little things that just call to you and call your name so that you respond to them every time you go down the road. How often do you go down the road and you see the now sign pop up? You just finished breakfast. But the now sign's up and that's hot ones. I'm talking about donuts. Though we have eaten breakfast and we're full, we don't need anything else, it's just that sign that grabs us and draws us in there. We buy a dozen. Take to work. Half of them are missing time we get there. You see, that's what it's talking about here. That's what it's saying to us. God wants us to know that if we are willing to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and that's the one you get, not what you choose, and follow him. That's all that's necessary. You see, God could just do anything he wanted to. He could blink and evil be gone forever. That's not what God's plan is. His plan is for us to cooperate with him in agreement. And in that agreement, there is such a powerful thing that is released. Nothing can stand against it. So again, I'm going to close with that. Have you laid yourself upon his altar? Have you said to God, I've tried life like Solomon. I've tried everything there is to try and I'm getting nowhere. I feel awful about myself, low self-esteem. I'm always falling over things and making a mess of my life, saying things I shouldn't say and then I, Ooh, I shouldn't have said that. I'm doing all these things. Can you help me? And God says, if you meditate upon my word and apply it, you will not only be prosperous, but you will succeed. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, first of all, thank you for your word. Everything we need to know, every action we need to take is all right there for us. You have given it to us, Lord. And through your Son, you've made it available to us that we might live abundantly. Father God, may we take this to heart that our souls can possibly be in danger, but you have provided the means whereby we can be victorious. Thank you, Father, for your love, your constant attention, the fact that you look over us and keep us. And we bless you for it in the awesome and the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Cornerstone Community Church. We are located in Lynchburg, Virginia at 525 Old Graves Mill Road. You can find us online at cornerstonelynchburg.com, contact us by email, cornerstonecom at comcast.net, or call us at 434-847-4796.
We pray the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.